Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, December the 11th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is a very interesting Monday for me since yesterday I completed over four years of preaching at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Macomb. Each Sunday morning, Louise and I would get up around two in the morning and travel there. It was about a 300 mile round trip, it was over 300 miles. And we did that for four years. They were attempting to get a new pastor. 10 pastors declined. And finally, the 11th pastor did accept the call. And he was installed yesterday in a four o'clock installation service. So I will no longer be going to Emmanuel Macomb. I still have two congregations on Thursday night I'll be preaching at, but I am available now for Sunday morning. So if your congregation is vacant or you're looking for a pastor to preach uh, during Christmas, etc., email me. And my email is tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot N-E-T. And leave your name and phone number so I can call you and get more details. So yesterday, I did something very interesting I had not done for 45 years in the ministry. I chose three of my favorite Bible passages and spoke about them from a law and gospel perspective. They were passages that really helped people in giving them the kind of ammunition you need in speaking to individuals who are ignorant of the Christian message because they are so clear in what they have to say. Well, today, we're taking a look, though, at the third Sunday in Advent. And it has readings from Isaiah, from 1 Thessalonians, and from John chapter 1. Now, I want to tell you the question that I started with in yesterday's sermon. I asked everyone to think of their favorite Bible verse. And I gave them a little time to think of what their favorite Bible verse was. And then I looked at the congregation, and there were quite a few people there, what was it being my last Sunday. And I asked them to put their hand up if their favorite Bible verse was not an unconditional promise from God. Well, guess what? Nobody put their hand up. See, that's a truly Christian congregation with a proper Lutheran understanding 
of biblical theology. The reason they love Jesus is because of his promises. Now, you would think that the majority of passages would be from the New Testament, but that's not what we're going to be talking about today. I've often said that one of the greatest books of the Bible is the book of Isaiah. And we're going to be looking at the beginning of chapter 6 of Isaiah. I'm sorry, chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. This is Old Testament, folks. And yet, all the teachings of Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ are found in this book, written hundreds of years before Jesus was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. The Old Testament is not all law in the sense of commandments, but it has got plenty of gospel, unconditional promises. So let's begin. Verse 1 of chapter 61. This is talking about Jesus Christ. He's the one speaking here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, that word anointing is very important. It is the meaning of the word Messiah in the Hebrew and the meaning of the word Christ in the Greek. Jesus is the anointed one. And of course, when he's speaking this, he is not yet incarnate. And so he is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They are with him. Three persons, yet one God. And then he says, Here is my mission to bring good news to the poor. And when Jesus uses the word poor, he's not talking about economic poor. He's talking about the spiritually poor. Those who as yet do not have an inkling of salvation because of God. They are the poor in spirit. He has sent me, it says, to bind up the brokenhearted. Well, who are the brokenhearted? How many times have you attempted to do something in this world and it doesn't work? There are many times when we are in grief or in pain or in suffering because the world is that of Satan's. The earth is the abode of Satan who is trying to tempt us as he did Adam and Eve 
to fall into rebellion against God. So Jesus was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. It really doesn't matter what is going on in your life. But according to Romans 8, 28, all things will work together to your good. Maybe you have recognized that. You're going through a day where you say, I don't think I'm going to get through this day. And then a week later, things have returned to normal or as best as you can have in a world of tribulation. Yes, God binds up the brokenhearted. And then it says to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, how are we captives? We're captives under the realm of Satan. Because of the sin in Adam and Eve, every one of us are born with original sin. And that is so obvious to parents who get newborn children that it doesn't take long before they realize that the children are rebelling against them. Children love to have their own way, and therefore it's the task of parents to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The text goes on that the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Yes, what are we bound to? We're really bound to the law. And when I say that, I'm not talking looking at the law in a bad sense. No, we look to the law as something we can obey. And when we find we cannot obey it, we change the law so that we are obeying it. Take a look at many people in the United States today who are definitely speaking against God's law in the Bible changing it to think that when they have an abortion, when they have a gay relationship, when they decide to commit suicide, that that's okay because they are no longer following God's law, but their own views. Now, Jesus has come to bind to take away that bondage by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Now, his favor means his mercy and grace and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. You see, Christians grieve. We grieve at a funeral because of our loved one who has died. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And in that way, we are comforted. If you go to a funeral and the comfort, well, look at this person. They were such a wonderful person. 
And then the pastor will start talking about how great a person the one who has died had been. And you will not recognize who he's talking about because the closer you get to people, the more you realize what a sinner they are. And therefore, God will give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. That's what verse 2 says. What's the headdress you receive? Well, Jesus' headdress was a crown of thorns, but you receive a crown of gold. That's what the Bible says. It's like you're running a race at the Olympics and you come in dead last, but Jesus wins the race and he hands the gold crown over to you. That's the oil of gladness instead of mourning. That's the garment of praise instead of a faint heart. That you may be called, and this is verse 3, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is what Christianity is all about. You're born in sin, but then through the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin the sanctified life where you trust the promises of Jesus Christ. That's why you know you're saved, because you trust his promises. It's not the trust that becomes the reason why you're saved, but it is the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ as the reason why you're saved. And that is what you trust, you believe in, and you become an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, in order that the Lord may be glorified. And that's what we do in worship services. We give glory to the Lord. We give him thanks. We give him praise. We worship him as the only true God. No other religion has a God who dies for your sins. But in Christianity, there is, and his name is Jesus. And when we become a Christian, verse 4 says, you shall build up the ancient ruins. You shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Well, that's talking about how the chosen people of God would ruin worship to God by making worship to idols. And sometimes they were idols that they made with their own hands out of metal or wood 
Remember the golden calf? When it took a long time for Moses to come down from Mount Sinai? And then the Israelites ended up worshiping so that God took them, first of all, into Assyrian captivity. That was the 10 northern tribes. And then the two southern tribes into Babylonian captivity. And even when many Jews returned to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple, and Herod, King Herod, spent years in rebuilding the temple because of the unbelief of many in the country of Judah, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Yes, there still may be a wall standing, but it's not a wall from the temple. It's a wall from the new erection that Herod had put up, and yet it's crumbling also. Verse 8, For the Lord loves justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Now you see, that everlasting covenant took place at the Lord's Supper when Jesus made a covenant that their sins would be forgiven. Heaven would be their home. That's an everlasting covenant. That's why it's so important that congregations receive the Lord's Supper on a regular basis because connected to that body and blood of Christ is the forgiveness of sins. And that's what gets you to heaven. God hates sin. So he gives them a new everlasting covenant. Verse 9, their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Well, we certainly see that in the Bible. We don't have to wait till the New Testament for the Gentiles to be brought into the church. Remember Jonah. He was sent to the town of Nineveh, a Gentile city. He did not want to go because he considered Gentiles to be the enemies. And he got swallowed by a large fish, spit up on the ground. He then obeyed the Lord, went to Nineveh, and in three days, the city, what did it do? It repented of its sins. Did that make Jonah happy? No. He was still angry at God for doing that. But it's a great example where the Gentiles were also considered to be part of the people of God. 
In fact, of the apostles in the New Testament, God set aside a specific apostle for ministry to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul. So, both Jew and Gentiles are offspring that the Lord has blessed, which means you receive many blessings from Jesus Christ. The response in Isaiah 61 is verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. You see, where our soul was really worried that we weren't doing enough good works to be saved, the message of Christianity is good works we do do not save us. We're saved instead through faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. I challenge you to listen to the other programs here on KFUO, and you'll hear that message again and again. Go to another so-called Christian radio station, listen to their sermons, their Bible studies, and you will not hear what I'm telling you right now. You may hear some of it, but it will be mixed with works as a way of salvation. So, why do we rejoice in the Lord? Verse 10 continues, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest, with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This reminds us of the parable of the wedding feast that a king gave his son. Who's the bridegroom in Christianity? It's none other than Jesus Christ himself. And who is the bride? the members of the fellowship of the Holy Christian Church who have been declared righteous. For what reason are you declared righteous? We have no idea. God just makes that decision. And it isn't because of our works. It's because of his love for us. For he so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, uh, that whoever obeys, no, that whoever believes shall be saved. So Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. Verse 11, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what has sown it, it to sprout up. And boy, my wife Louise and I saw that for four years, traveling to Emmanuel Macomb. We went by many a farm, 
and we saw for four years the seeding of the ground, the growth of the vegetation, and the harvest. God uses that. Why? The end of verse 11. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. In God's sight, every believer in Jesus Christ has received the righteousness of Christ. In other words, that's what forgiveness means. It means God no longer holds you accountable for your sin. You are righteous in his sight. So on the day of judgment, do not be worried that all your sins will be brought forward to keep you out of heaven. No, they were brought forward and placed on the cross with Jesus, who died so that you and I will never really die. And he lives, resurrected from the dead, as proof positive that the Father accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. That's the message of the Christian church. It's why it's called the gospel, which means good news. The law is bad news because nobody is able to keep it. But the gospel is kept by God and therefore heaven will be your home. My email is tombaker at brick.net. Until tomorrow when we look at the verse, the hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.